So I, I was reading some articles in, on my computer that I had saved. I was actually looking for an article, never found it, but I found one um, at the first of the week, and it was written during the COVID um, stuff. It was by Andy Crouch, and um, it's called Leading Beyond the Blizzard. And the premise um, of the article was that we are not in a blizzard. Uh, we're in like a mini ice age. In fact, COVID was not something we should just hunker down and wait till it's over and then everything goes back to normal. That we're in like a mini ice age. And that for us to survive and thrive, we've got to kind of do things a little bit different at the other end of it. And here's the quote. Um, the priority of leaders must be set aside, must set aside confidence in their current playbook as quickly as possible. Write a new one, and here's the key, that honors their mission and their ministry and the communities they serve. So it doesn't mean you throw away the baby with the bathwater, but we, and I, I think it's true for a lot of churches as well as businesses, had to see what is it that our community wants what is it God wants us to do? And then we need to double down on that and leave the other stuff alone. You follow me there? For example, what did and the, probably one of the hardest hit uh, communities are, were our food and beverage and entertainment. So what did they do with the food and beverage industry? What has happened now? DoorDash. I mean, it's just like you, if they can't do that, they're not going to survive. And so we um, actually now do online services. Um, the irony of all of that for us is we are an incarnational church. Um, you're going to hear, depending on who's preaching, anywhere from 15 to 25 minutes of a message, and the rest of it is us participating. It's us saying the prayers. It's us confessing. It's the creed. It's the songs we sing. It's coming forward to communion. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched our services and if you have, I'm curious to know how many of you started at the opening announcement and made it all the way to the closing ending. Probably not. You know, we actually, when I'm not, when I'm watching, I like to watch communion because I want to know who's in church. <laughs> but my point being, our strength is not necessarily something we can put on a screen. All right. What is our strength? And so we began to to kind of wrestle with this as a church. Our bishop encouraged us um, to do this and figure out what it is we need to really focus in on to help our community thrive, not grow so much as to thrive and meet the needs of our community, um, broader community. Um, the phrase that's being said out there, I think, really fits us. We realize that we like to do life together. That, that's out there, doing life together. That's what we do when we gather for worship. We do life together. Um, it's shared leadership is how we're going to thrive. It's no longer this one personality. Um, that's, that's starting to have a real volatile impact on our church culture, these personality-driven churches. So we need shared um, leadership. Um, I know you know this, but um, we share the pulpit. You know, I preach about once every four weeks unless somebody's out of town. This summer, we had 12, no, eight of our lay people share the gospel. It's shared leader. We are doing life together, and we believe for us, I'm not saying that's true about other communities of faith, but for us, this is what works, 
and will help you thrive as well as ourselves. Um, we have a rhythm of life here. Um, it's, you know, Jay was saying to me the other day, uh, you know, Robert, when you do get around to retiring, you know, it's going to be that point where y'all say, please retire. Um, but we're not going to have to make anything up. We're going to do Advent. We're going to gather for Christmas. We're going to celebrate Epiphany, God bringing the light into the world. We're going to do Lent because we need it. We're going to have Easter. We're going to have Pentecost and the long growing seasons. And then we're going to do it over again and over again and over again. It's a rhythm um, that I believe our particular part of the body has to offer to the larger body. That's our niche, if you will. Not just us. There are other churches that do that. We have a three-year cycle. Did you know that in our scriptures? We don't pick these scriptures. They're already in what we call a lectionary, and they rotate every three years. Three years from today on this particular Sunday, we'll read a different gospel. I mean, we'll read this gospel. Next year, we'll read another one, and we do that three years. Get a lot of the scriptures, not all of it, but the corpus of most of the scriptures. That's our cycle. Um, it's a life cycle, um, and we wanted to double down on that. Um, we all believe that this is a healthy rhythm. And I know we need healthy rhythms. Amen. Um, so, um, so what are we seeking in our broader community? Right. Is that leadership um, needs to be shared? Amen. All right, that's my my first point. So, um, this is what I want to go to next. I'm gonna. This is really practical, guys. Um, just like two weeks ago, Mark talked about forgiveness. It's it's a no brainer. But it's so hard. You know, unforgiveness is probably the, the biggest sin of the church, of us, holding unforgiveness. It's not an option. Mark made that clear. If you want to hear it two weeks ago, because we recorded it now, listen to that sermon. Forgiveness is not an option. Last week, Taylor talked about the mercy of God and how it's relentless. And it really kind of goes against our own feeling of justice. You mean you forgave them? When I did all of this, um, that's a hard one, is it not? But it's, it's not an option. Mercy is God's choice, not, not ours. Um, so I want to go back and read Philippians um, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, uh, this is how we do life together, by the way. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That doesn't mean we have to think alike. It means the same mind about Christ. That's what we need to be unified in who Christ is, but we can have different opinions about life, but that's the same mind. Same mind in Christ, having the same love that Christ had. That's not an option um, if we want to do life together. Being in full accord and of one mind. Did you hear that? Participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, that's doing life together, um, being of the same mind, same love, full accord, and of one mind. Um, I mean, I'm not making this up, this is, but it's hard, is it not? Um, Paul, writing to this young church in Philippi, which many believe was just his, not his favorite church, but, you know, read Acts about who, who came into Philippi. He just had such a love relationship there. And he's writing to this church, and he, and he captures the heart of God for them. 
He also knows the inward struggle that I mentioned that we have as fallen beings about forgiveness and injustice and pride and all that. So he goes on and and says this in verse 3 and 4 after those beautiful words. He then um, says this. Um, Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Why do you think he said that? Because we have selfish ambition and conceit, do we not? And then he goes on and said, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That doesn't mean more gifted or or better moral people. It means we need to count others before ourselves. And then he says in the next verse, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. It doesn't mean we don't look to our interest, but we look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. I was trying to think of an application. I'll just use a marriage, for example, or a good friendship. There might be a time when Ruth, my wife, might be interested in something, and I'm really not. But because of my love and my encouragement, I'm going to be interested. You hear what I'm saying? Um, Because it's not about me. It might be about her. and, And I hope that she'll do vice versa, you know. But the reality is, Um, On another level, our interest ought to benefit others. If we're interested in something, I think it's a great question to ask ourselves, are my interests blessing the community or are they just selfish interests? You know, I'm thinking, let's just, guys, I'm not retiring. It's just an example that I think about a lot. Um, But let me think about me. You know, what's going to be good for me might not be good for the church. And so it's probably don't do it. Or I might say, what's good for the church might not be good for me. You know, if you guys drag me up here, tell them 80 years old, that's not going to be good for me. You know, it's a simple example. But so think about that. Look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. What's going on in, our, in your community that your interest might be a blessing to. Um, do nothing from selfish ambition. Let each one look not to his own interest. Um, Here's another thing I was thinking about. There's a ministry we're going to pray for today called Dwell Mobile. It's our month, monthly mission uh, partnership. Um, and how many of you know that Mobile is the city in the state of Alabama, the only city in the state of Alabama that has been designated by the federal government um, to be a city for refugees? Did you know that? Um, and these are not just people who just kind of show up. These are who have been fed and they're being reestablished, if you will, replaced in Mobile. And we have a ministry called Dwell Mobile that we support. Guess what they do, based upon what I'm saying? They just do life with these folks. They love them. They get to know them. Um, they do ESL, ESL if it's appropriate. They, do, they just do life together. And you know, talking to our mission team, I know... There's going to be an opportunity, hopefully, in not too distant future, where we're given an opportunity to do life as well. Um, this is the life of the body of Christ as we do life together. Um, there are sometimes um, in relationships, if you will, where it's hard to do life, is it not? What do we do there? Um, we pray. We seek. I'll give a personal example. Um, I have a, a family member. Um, I have a, another family member here. And don't be trying to think of who they are. <laughs> All right? I, I've got a cousin here that's joining. Um, but things aren't good right now. And, and, I've been, and ever since Mark talked about forgiveness, I started thinking, what, what can I do? 
I started thinking, what if I, and I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm just putting it out there as an example for you. What if I went to that person, let's just say Eddie's that person, and I said, okay, um, Eddie, cousin, um, what would you like for our life to look like from here on out? What, what do you, what, how would you like for us to do life together? And if we can come to an agreement there, then let's do the steps that make that happen. And it's about our interests together, you know. And I'm hoping that, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to have to call them every day. Um, but I'd like to do life with people. And especially those that we might have gotten sideways with. Because I think that's what the gospel addresses. Did you hear that in the, the gospel story? It's the prostitutes. and the, Those are the ones that we are supposed to do life with. Amen. It's those who have been marginalized. Those on the side. Um, now, here's, this is me. Um, when we do life together, um, I think, you know, the bishop asked me, uh, I wrote this down here. I said, you know, the bishop asked us, like, I think it was two or three years ago, Taylor, said, what is your target demographic? I, mean, I hate that kind of stuff. Um, and I thought about it, and I realized that if I had a target, it's about family. It's about intergenerational. Um, I, I want the church to be intergenerational because we need the wisdom of the age and we need the wonder of the youth. We need the, the young families that are, I mean, you guys are just, I mean, it is hard. And we need those of us who don't have the, that struggle. We need to be coming along. We need to be doing life together. And I never really, in fact, it kind of faded. You never really called us to task on that, did he, Taylor? But I, I was ready because I believe if you want a blessing, you look at a, out in your congregation and you see a grandparent and their children and their grandchildren, that's amazing when that happens, you know. And then we as a body come together and we got our singles and our widowed um, coming alongside of children and families. And we are doing life together. And I believe that's what we're trying to do as, as a leadership so in the midst of all of that very simple instruction, Paul, you know, I don't know whether he had a scribe or not, he just bust out in worship. You know what I mean by that? If you look at verse 5, he said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then all of a sudden he quotes. He didn't make this up. He quotes what was called the Christ hymn. And it was either sung or said, kind of like our creed, kind of like that opening hymn, that good Wesleyan, which just, which just speaks of the truth of God. That's why we need to sing those hymns, not just the praise and worship type. We need to sing the hymns that proclaim the glory and majesty of God. So Paul, right in the middle of this very practical teaching, he says, who, who, excuse me, back up, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He, I mean, can you hear him just reciting that? And the scribe is writing it down. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if all we do with that is relegate that text to just Jesus did it, thus we did it, 
We're missing the amazing majesty of God. This is the one. This is the one who took the form of a servant. Yes, we take the form of a servant who humbled himself, did not count equality with all the gifts he might have had. He did not count that. Yes, that's us. That's what it means to think others better than yourself. Um, parents, have you ever watched a child try to tie their shoe? And what do you do? Just Well, actually, they don't tie them. They Velcro them now. But, but my point being, you want them to learn, do you not? When you could do it so much better. Think about Christ, the one who could do everything better, allowing us the space to work out our salvation. So at the end of that amazing text, which drew our eyes away from ourselves to the Lord. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now only in my presence, by much more in my absence, do it much more in my absence, means do it when you're by yourself, not just in public. Um, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And I believe, placed in the context of what I've been saying, that the way we work out our salvation is where? Anybody? Right here. It's doing life together. If you're trying to work it out by yourself, that's easy. You don't have to forgive anybody. You don't have to acquiesce to anybody. But when you're in the body, when you're in relationship with people, that's working out your salvation. And the promise is God works in you while you're doing it. So in closing, let me ask you this. Which of the sons did the father's will in the gospel story? Could you hear it with an in and out? Anybody? Do you want me to tell you the story again? <laughs> in the gospel story, there were two sons. And the father said to the first, son, go. And he said, I will not, but he went. And then the second one said, I'll go, but didn't go. Which of the one did the will of the father? It was the first. And so, church, I say, if you're not doing life together, repent. Turn to the Lord. Draw closer to one another. Speak to the person you do not know. Invite the family with kids that are struggling um, into your home. Let's do life together. Amen?